0: chapter 7, as we continue here in our sermon number 3 of our four-part series, titled, Two Ways to Live, the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. We'll take a little hiatus next week. Uh, Pastor James will be preaching for us. Uh, the, our previous church up in Minnesota, Prior Lake Baptist Church, invited our family to come back and to preach for them and uh, to give an update on ministry here as they pray for us often. And so we're going to enjoy some time with friends next week up there and, and preach for them. But Pastor James will uh, be preaching here next week, and so look forward to that. And then we'll conclude our little mini-series here on the 19th in the morning. Uh, Matthew 19, we'll, not Matthew 19, November 19th, the end of Matthew 7. So if you find your way to Matthew chapter 7, uh, we're going to be in verses 21 through 23 this morning. It's on page 812 in the Pew Bible. If you find your way there, let's pray. as We begin our time together. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, he has paid it all. Lord, all we have is Christ. Lord, when we stand before you someday, what is our final and perfect plea? But it is Jesus. Not even the fact that we've trusted Jesus, but the fact of what Jesus has done for us. Lord, that he is the one who has secured our salvation. Lord, that we are in him. His righteousness has been given to us. Thank you. Help us now as we come to your word, to be challenged by it, to see how we may apply it to our lives and the warnings here at the end of Matthew 7. Lord, as we think of two ways to live, Lord, may we be on the narrow way. May we be bearing fruit in this morning, Lord. May our motivations and may the pattern of our life be a display of faith-filled trust, faithful works in you. Lord, we love you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. As we come here to Matthew 7, we're in verses 21 through 23 this morning. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I, one of my favorite things on Wednesday nights during Awana is as we learn our verses together. The kids have their verses they're learning in their, their lesson time and in their workbooks. But we memorize a set of verses together, everybody, uh, the Sparks and the TNT, uh, as we come together. Just a few important verses. Last, week, or last year we worked through Ephesians 6, the armor of God. This year we're in Romans 5, having peace with God and God demonstrating his love for us. And, and often I'll say, okay, who could say, who can tell me Romans 5 1? And a lot of kids will raise their hands right away and, okay, say it. And I normally reply, good try, somebody else, you know. (laughs) That idea of saying, I can do it, look at me. Please, you know, pick me, I know it. But yet they're unsure or they need maybe the first word or need some help, but they're, they're not ready to follow through on what they say that they can do. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, we are introduced to a group of people who say, look at me, Lord, look what I can do. I can do it. But yet Jesus says, your works are empty. You truly don't know me. It's quite the contrast when you think of it. People say, I know Jesus, and look what I've done for Jesus. And Jesus says, I don't know you. I don't know you. We looked last week at false prophets and the fruit of, that they bear in their lives a good healthy tree bears good healthy fruit a a diseased tree bears diseased fruit and it will be cut down and burnt in verses 13 through 14 we have the two ways the narrow gate and the wide broad gate the one way is easy but it leads to destruction the other is hard but it leads to life and here we have the two options of those who know christ and do the will of the father and those who claim to know Jesus, but yet they don't. And this is a shocking statement here when we slow down and look at it. There are people who in their lives do things in the name of Jesus without truly being a follower of Jesus. That should be a startling reality to us. It should be a warning to us that we do not get caught up in simply doing. And we'll talk about how, well, doing is important. But we don't base our faith on what we do. Now, our doing should reflect our faith, but there is a very nuanced understanding here that many can devote their life doing things for Jesus, but yet they not truly know Jesus. Our big idea for verses 21 through 23 this morning are this, is that entrance into the kingdom of heaven results from submission to the will of the Father through word and deed. Word, what we say, but also what we do. And it's submission not to our will, but to the will of the Father who is in heaven. Jesus gives this clear statement in verse 21. That the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven is the one who has entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Entrance into the kingdom of heaven results from submission to the will of the Father. Jesus continues to call his listeners here to a life of devoted discipleship and entrance through the narrow gates. He gives another warning here to those who think they are on the narrow way, who may be even doing things in the name of Christ, but that they must submit themselves to the will of the Father. Empty words will lead to destruction. Selfish works will lead to destruction. But faith-filled works lead to to life. And we're going to look at that here. And those are our three points of our message this morning. So as we think of entering into the kingdom of heaven, resulting from submission to the will of the Father through word and deed, we must be warned that empty words lead to destruction. Empty words lead to destruction. This section flows naturally from the previous one and expands upon it. In verses 15 through 20, Jesus' main focus is on false prophets. So we can apply that even to our own lives but here in verses 21 through 23 jesus in a sense takes a step back and widens it to anybody who claims to be a follower of jesus and he says this not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven not everyone two paths two ways of living again here is emphasized by jesus we have the wide way and the narrow way the fruitful tree, the dead tree, and here, those who live for themselves versus those who live for the will of the Father. And the warning is stark. Jesus says to this group of people listening to him, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is clearly and plainly saying, not everyone who claims to be a Christian actually is. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is one of Matthew's favorite phrases. He repeats again and again that kingdom of heaven. And does the kingdom of heaven differentiate from the kingdom of God? It, it, it's, in my mind, it's all synonymous to, to God's kingdom, to being part of the narrow way, being part of his family, part of his kingdom. We could understand this as somebody who is born again, who is a believer, a true disciple of Jesus. Entrance into the kingdom of heaven by the narrow gate. Not everyone who says to Jesus, Lord, Lord. That term Lord there is the Greek term curios, uh, which means master uh, or owner in a sense. It's the idea of, you know, master, master, I'm your servant. But not everyone who says that will enter into the kingdom. These are individuals that claim Jesus Christ as their Lord and master. But through their cry, they claim that they are servants of their master Jesus, but that is not the case. They speak with empty words. And why are they not going to be recognized by Jesus? Why are they not a follower? Jesus continues, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So here is what Jesus is laying out. Jesus is not saying that we shouldn't proclaim Jesus Christ as our Lord, saying, Lord, Lord. He's saying not everyone who says that is a true follower, but those who cry, Lord, Lord, and who do the will of his Father. The end of verse 21. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So, looking at this verse, How does one enter into the kingdom of heaven? By doing the will of the Father who is in heaven. And by saying, Lord, Lord. The danger is crying, Lord, Lord, and not doing the will of the Father. Generally, if you're doing the will of the Father, you're also going to cry, Lord, Lord. (laughs) Now, we need to take a step back and we look at this Uh, this verse, in light of the rest of Scripture, Jesus is not saying you have to do these lists of things to gain entrance into the kingdom. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is you must cry out and proclaim Jesus as your Lord, but there should also be an effect of that faith in your life through how you live. The fruit should match what you're claiming to believe in. It's what we see in verse 15 through 20. It's the fact that somebody who is truly a servant of Jesus and of his Father will live their lives in such a way that it will be clearly seen that they are not living for themselves but for the Father. And that's the call of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. We don't live for ourselves, but we live for Him. And what was Jesus' desire? Was to fulfill the will of his Father who is in heaven. John, the Gospel of John, is full of accounts of Jesus saying that. And here, the warning is that just because you cry, Lord, Lord, does not mean you are truly following after Jesus. Not everyone who claims this lives a life submitted to him through faith. The one who does the will of his Father. It's why we had Pastor James read Ephesians 2 this morning. right? Ephesians 2, 1-9 is, is about us being lost in our sin and, and God demonstrating His love and, and through His great mercy, pouring out through His gift of grace, we have eternal life. And we receive eternal life. And what has He prepared for us? In verse 10, good works, that we should walk in them. It's not if we want to. It's not a suggestion, but we are his workmanship. You were created by God. You were called by God. You were saved by God. And he has created you to live in such a way as his workmanship for good works, that you should walk in them, that your life should demonstrate the fact that you are his workmanship, that you are a child of God, that you belong to him, that he is your master, that you're seeking to do his work. Will, Lord, Lord, and Jesus says, (laughs) your words are empty. I'm sure we can all think of someone who's made bold promises, right? Yet they fail to come through. How many of you are getting political advertisements in the mail? You want to tell some of these people, like, save your money, you know, random governor from whatever state. No offense, but I don't think you got a chance, right? All these promises... You know, this is what I've done, and this is what this person hasn't done, and back and forth, and it's, you know, who truly follows through? We can, in a sense, look at that in the political realm. But even on a personal level, there might be coworkers. I'll do that. Friends, I'll follow through with that. Maybe even somebody in your own family, right? I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll get there. And yet, they fail to follow through. From personal acquaintances to public figures, many people can talk a big game, but not everyone can deliver, nor does everyone deliver all the time. Here, they're claiming, I know you, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, by the way that you've lived your life, you clearly don't. Jesus simply states that just because you claim Christ as your Savior or your Lord does not mean you are truly his follower. Being a follower of Jesus is more than just saying you believe in Jesus or that he's a good dude, or you like his teaching, or I bet he'd be a great guy to hang out with, or Jesus has a really nice way of living. There are many people today that you rub shoulders with, who with their words would say that they are a Christian. The world is turning very, very much against Christianity in our nation. But we still live in a pocket of our nation where Christianity is generally accepted. And many will say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. And that's my church, even though they only go on Christmas and Easter. (laughs) But that's their church, and they're a Christian, and sure. We need to understand that just because they say it doesn't mean that they are. They only say it with their words, and their words are empty. They are on their way to hell. And on that last day, Jesus will tell them to depart, for he never knew them. And I think that's hard for our cultural context in which we live in rural Iowa. Because most everyone grew up going to church or has a family church or has has attended at some point. So yeah, I go to church. Yeah, I'm a nice person. But we must understand just because they say it doesn't mean that they truly are a follower of Jesus Christ. You must beware Empty words lead to destruction. And I don't want you on that last day to be standing there and saying, I never knew that. Here's your warning. Do your words and do your life fit together? Do you proclaim Jesus just as loudly with your actions and your conversations as you do with what you proclaim? Number two, selfish works lead to destruction. So then Jesus kind of shifts here from saying, there are some who cry, Lord, Lord, but yet they never knew Jesus because they weren't doing the will of the Father. And here in verse 22, he's talking about how there are people who do things in the name of Jesus, but yet their motivation is wrong. He says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, again, this phrase, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? The first emphasis is on the proclamation of Jesus being one's Lord. And here we see that there are those who even think by doing things that they themselves are truly followers, but they are not. On that day, that phrase refers to the end, the the final judgment. When believers and unbelievers are separated for eternity. And on that day, many will say, that's, That's a a shocking statement that Jesus says, many will say. This is not just a few, but many will say this. They'll say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? Look at these things. They're all very public, right? Prophesy, cast out demons, do many mighty works. They're doing all these things that everybody can see and see who's doing it. Verse 23, and Jesus says, Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now you might say, well, come on. They they, they did this according to the name of Jesus. How, how, How can he not know them? Well, the contrast is with the end of verse 21, of doing the will of the Father. Jesus is using this phrase as an example of these things. They think they did it in the name of Jesus doing all these things, but they are workers of lawlessness, of sin, of disregard for God's plan and His will. What Jesus is emphasizing here is they did these things not according to the will of the Father, but according to their own will and their own promotion. These are all Public things, prophesied, cast out demons, doing many mighty works. You don't see them saying, Lord, did I not submit my life to you and suffer for your sake? It's not what you read. It's all these very public, very, in a sense you could say, celebrity (laughs) works that others would see. But Jesus himself says, depart, depart. I never knew you. Again, though they cried, Lord, Lord, look at all that we've done. Jesus says, I never, I, I, I never knew you. Here you've done these things, but yet what was your motivation? Were you submitted to the will of the Father or your own will? They did not desire to do the will of the Father as in verse 21, but their own will. Their actions, though outwardly seemed to give honor to Christ, were in fact inwardly selfish. This may seem harsh, but there are plenty of examples in Scripture of those who for selfish gain sought to exploit the gospel, who lived with Jesus, who did things for Jesus, but yet they were not truly a follower. Judas is the best case example. Here's a man who was a disciple of Jesus Christ. I would think that as Judas went out, as the disciples were sent out, that Judas was involved in some of these things. But yet, what would in the end was Judas's hoping? It was not in Jesus. Think of Ananias and Sapphira. They sold their property to make themselves look good. They did it in the name of Jesus. But yet selfishly they were looking for their own promotion. In Acts 8, Simon, as he professed faith in Christ, then saw the mighty deeds of the apostles, said, How can I get that power? for his own profit and his own gain. The point is people will claim Christ with their words yet they do not know him, and yet people will even claim Christ in their deeds, but they are not according to the will of the Father due to either sin or selfishness. The narrow gate is narrow for a reason, not many will enter it and the way is hard. Jesus here demonstrates that again that one's words or actions can be misleading when it comes to their entrance into the kingdom of heaven. It's a warning for us. It's a warning for us. Do our words match our life and the motivation of how we live our lives? Is it submitted to the will of the Father or to our own self-promotion? And the third point here is a distillation of the first two to the positive. So what hope do we have then? We must be clear in our confession. Jesus is not saying, don't cry, Lord, Lord. Jesus is saying that. You need to proclaim Jesus Christ. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ, proclaim him as Lord. That's good, with your words. You need to speak the gospel. I hate the phrase, you know, preach the gospel, if necessary, use words. That's contrary to scripture. What does Romans 10 say? Right, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. How can they hear unless someone basically speaks to them. What that phrase, that quote is getting at that, is that you need to proclaim the gospel. We need to match it with how you live. And that's what we see here. We must be clear in our confession. We must proclaim Jesus Christ, but we also must be clear in our actions, in our motivations. We claim Christ as our Lord. And we must live out our faith, submitting ourselves to the will of the Father not for selfish gain, personal prosperity, or individual agendas. There have been people who've grown up in church, kids who have grown up in church, and they've made professions of faith. And they've done things in church because mom and dad forced them to. That was the, 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 the guilt of, of being in that cultural church context is what I need to do. And there's not bad. Mom and dad should make you do things. kids, don't come away from this saying, well, Pastor Greg says I don't have to do it if I don't want to. No, it's not what I'm saying. (laughs) Pastor Greg is saying, obey your parents. But we must also understand that if we're not careful, we can create a culture where it's just, you do things because that's what you're expected to do rather than out of love and devotion to Jesus Christ. There's a balance there. We must live out our faith Submitting ourselves to the will of the Father, not for selfish gain, personal prosperity, or individual agendas. We have entrance into the kingdom of heaven through faith in Christ, crying, Lord, Lord. Demonstrated through our faithful and fruitful living, doing the will of the Father. There is this tension in scripture. There's this tension in scripture that what must you do to enter into the kingdom of heaven. What must you do to be saved? You must believe in Jesus Christ and you must be saved. It's simple, right? We cannot do anything to earn our salvation. It's what Jesus Christ has done for us through his death, burial, and resurrection through his righteousness that was accomplished, that is given to us by faith in Christ. We cannot earn our salvation at all. But we balance that with the fact that our salvation must be played out in our lives. What is... Paul saying in Philippians 2, right? Work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Live out your faith. Bear fruit. You are his workmanship created in Jesus Christ. In Hebrews it says, strive for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. That's an interesting dynamic. Strive for holiness because without holiness you won't see Jesus. The contrast and the tension is there. Faith alone, yes, but faith alone that results in works and a heart that is set upon Jesus, knowing it's not what we do, but we do these things because of what Christ has done for us and we're living out our faith. Romans 12, one and two, right? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God to present yourself as living sacrifices. Now, did Paul start the book of Romans with chapter 12, he didn't say, hey, you need to be a living sacrifice. No, he spent 11 chapters of confusing us with hard things and simple things in Romans of God's miraculous grace through the gospel, saving us, not by our own works. He builds this whole argument of the mercy of God through Jesus Christ. And then he says, you know what? Jesus has done all for us. This for you, to him be glory, praise, and honor. And I appeal to you, therefore, be a living sacrifice. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, we already read it, right? We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We weren't sick. We we just didn't like God. We weren't indifferent or neutral. No, we were dead. God made us alive. He saved us by grace so that no one can boast. And he saved us so we can live however we want. No, no that we would be his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1-8. Paul is writing to the Thessalonians, and he gives this great account of, of him coming to them and living out and discipling them and seeing them grow. And then he comes to chapter 4, which is interesting. He says, Finally, then brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received from us now how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you are to do so more and more. He talks about how they were delivered from darkness to light through the ministry of the gospel. And he says, finally, we ask and we urge you that as you've received the message of the gospel from us, you are now to walk and to please God. In verse 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, growing to be more like Jesus. You want to know God's will for your life? Be more like Jesus. Cry, Lord, Lord, do works for him that are not empty but are submitted to the will of the Father. Our works do not save, but they demonstrate our faith. And in that, our faith must be genuine and not for selfish gain like these individuals, or a simple head knowledge like the demons in James 2, right? The demons know Jesus. They know who he is. Yet their works definitely don't demonstrate faith. (laughs) The rest of James 2 describes this. What Jesus is saying here is that there are going to be a lot of people who claim to know him and follow him and do things in his name, but they don't truly believe in him. Because they are living for themselves and for what they can gain. Whatever is popular in the world, whatever form they need to take to go along with the flow or advance themselves, that's what they're going to take. They haven't entered the narrow way that is hard, but that leads to life. So my question for you this morning is this: As you take a step back and reflect in your life, are you, first of all, crying, "Lord, Lord, have you trusted Jesus Christ as your savior? Secondly, Take stock of your life. Inspect your heart. Paul says that that's a good thing in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. He says, inspect your heart, your faith, that you are in the way. <laughs> in the, not in the way, but like following after Jesus. That's good. That's a, that's a proper and right thing to do. Inspect your life. Check your motivations. Check your what you live for, why you do things. Is it for your own sinful gain? Or is it because you're submitting to the will of the Father? Now we balance that understanding knowing that we are saved sinners and we struggle with this. But just by the mere fact that you are inspecting your own heart demonstrates that you care, which demonstrates you understand the warning and the validity of the commands of Christ and that demonstrate faith. Our works do not save, but they demonstrate. Are you crying, Lord, Lord, is the pattern of your life one that's submitted to the will of the Father, being more like Jesus, living out our faith? In 1 John chapter 3, John is writing to these believers and he's talking about God's love and God is love. And, and love is, in a sense, this ultimate ideal of the Christian life, of loving others. And I love what he says in 1 John 3, verse 18. He says this, little children, and he doesn't mean that demeaning. He means that in a very sincere and loving way as a father to a child. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. We love not just In word or talk, talk is cheap, right? But we love in deed through action and in truth, the truth of who God is and how he's revealed himself in his word. We speak the truth in love. We love in deed and in truth. We do not separate loving others and loving God from the truth that is revealed in his word. And we do not love God or love others without putting it into action. Deed and truth. So as we take stock of our own hearts, as we look at this passage here in Matthew 7, entrance into the kingdom of heaven results from submission to the will of the Father through word and deed. Proclaiming Christ as Lord, submitting ourselves to the will of His Father, seeking to humbly live out our faith. And may we call others to do the same proclaiming Jesus Christ as the Savior. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, help us, help us to do this. It's a hard thing. Lord, it, it's, a, it's a difficult thing even to, to comprehend this tension, Lord, that living for you is based upon our faith in Christ. Lord, that we would live out our faith in a genuine way. Lord, help us to point others to Christ. Help us to put off sin. Lord, help us, again, to bring honor and glory to you, submitting to the will of the Father, living for him. Lord, we thank you for your word and the warning that it is. Lord, the gospel that reminds us that we have all that we need in Christ. And to live this life, we have Christ. We pray in his name.